Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. We are in a sermon series where we're studying the lives of the apostles, these men that God, uh, Jesus, chose to follow him. There are 12 ordinary men that God did extraordinary things through their lives, and we've been studying them for the purpose to find out the, the phenomenal things that can happen when we make this commitment to follow Jesus, and about their lives, and about how their lives impacted our church. Even 2,000 years ago, what happened 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago is still impacting the life of the church. Today, I think you're going to enjoy the message that I have to share with you today. It's on the life of the Apostle Matthew. And, but before we dive into Matthew's life, I want to just briefly highlight three apostles that we haven't discussed in this series, and we're not going to take the time at this point to discuss them, but I just want to share the three apostles' uh, names so you're just kind of familiar with them. One is, his name is James, the son of Aphelius, and he's actually also referred to as James the Less. And it's not because he's inferior to anybody. He's called James the Less, most likely because there was two James that were following Jesus, and he was most likely the younger of the James. There's not a whole lot mentioned to him in the Bible, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on on James, the son of Alphaeus. Also, there's a man named Simon the Zealot. We had Simon Peter, but we also had Simon the Zealot. And also referred to as Simon the Canaanite. And not because he came from Canaan, but most likely because of his passion that he had. Uh, the zealots of the day, uh, they were a political party. Catch this. This is someone who's following Jesus. They were a political party who was to overthrow the Roman occupation. Uh, occupa- uh, uh, that's not the word I'm looking for. But anyhow, uh, where they were accompanying in Rome and they were trying to overthrow that. And the thing that's so interesting to me, you would never think that there would be an apostle that would be an extremist following Jesus. Kind of an interesting thought. The other one is Judas, the son of James, um, who goes by two other names, Labaius and also Thaddeus. The only information we have of Judas is a question that he asked Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 22. And I share these three names because I wanted to make sure that you're aware of them. Even though we have little information on these three apostles, Apostles, it doesn't reflect that these apostles are any less important. Jesus called them to be his disciples. That's an amazing accomplishment when you get called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, It just reflects the reason we're not spending time on it because there's not a lot of information in Scripture about them. In fact, besides Peter and John and later the apostle Paul, we are given little information about many of the disciples But remember this truth. The New Testament was never written to highlight the apostles. The New Testament was written to highlight Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen? Amen. It's to proclaim Jesus to the people. And it's really fitting that many of Jesus' disciples are, are known just no more than by their name. Because as true greatness was never for themselves, the true greatness was always to be pointed to Jesus. And I want you to catch this thought today. Their legacy lives on in you and me. Their legacy lives on within a church. Their legacy lives on within the great church. They gave their lives 
in following Jesus. They gave their lives for the church itself. Every day, new stones, new lives are being added to the church. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2.20. I think it's really, really, really good. It says, together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone Christ then the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Notice in this scripture, Paul does not list the names of the apostles individually because we, are, we all play a part of building God's church. The church is those who build their lives upon the truth of Jesus Christ. Jesus being the cornerstone of the church. Jesus being the cornerstone of your life. Paul writes, together we are his house. Each and every one of us individually are different stones in building the kingdom of God or building his temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple. We are all part of God's church. Amen? We say amen? Now I want to just take the moment now to look at the apostle whose name is Matthew. Once again, there's not a lot of information about Matthew, which you'd think there would be a lot because he wrote one of the Gospels. But there really isn't a lot about his personal life. But we do know a few things. The first thing we know about Matthew is that he's referred to also as Levi. So many of the disciples are referred to by their surnames, their last names. And, and most likely it might have been Matthew Levi. But he's referred to both as Matthew and he's also referred to as Levi, the son of Alphaeus. The second thing we know about Matthew is that he is the author of, of the, the first gospel, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew. He is the author of that book. Pretty cool, huh? Come on. How, <clears throat> how would you like to have a book in the Bible? The third thing we know about Matthew is that he was a tax collector or called a publican. And this is probably the most interesting fact about Matthew as because most of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. And so as far as we know, this is the only tax collector that Jesus called to follow him, Matthew. Fishermen in the day were probably considered uneducated and probably a questionable choice to choose a fisherman because of their, they're not very educated. A rabbi most likely would not have chosen a fisherman in the day to say, hey, come follow me and, and I will teach you. That probably was not the, 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 the natural order. But for Jesus to call a tax collector, a publican, a person who thought every, who everyone thought was a sinner, for Jesus to call a tax collector to follow him would have been irreverent and blasphemous. Honestly, it would have been like choosing a, a well-known criminal who's still practicing crime to watch your kids. That's what it would have been kind of equivalent to when Jesus said, Matthew, Come follow me. And all of a sudden, Matthew walks out of his tax booth and starts to follow Jesus. Jesus choosing Matthew as one of his disciples was lunacy to the religious leaders of his day and to everyone in the Jewish community. Tax collectors were seen as, were seen as dishonest and the lowliest of all people, especially a Jewish tax collector. That's even worse. They would have been seen as someone who had betrayed their, betrayed their own people because they were working for the Roman government to basically extort money out of the Jewish people. It's interesting to note that Matthew refers to himself in his own writings as a tax collector, as a publican. 
He does not try to run away from this truth. He admits his past sinful life very, pretty proudly. He admits that who he was. I am a tax collector. But he also admits proudly that he chose to follow Jesus. I'm a sinner that, guess what, is saved by Jesus. Some of the other interesting benefits that we get from Matthew's life is his education and accounting. The Gospel of Matthew, as you read through it, is extremely methodical and organized. Instead of being written in a chronological order, it's actually written in sections, in different sections so that we could actually have a better understanding of Jesus' life and of his teachings. Matthew just kind of organizes it in such a way, and I think it had to do with his accounting, his background in accounting and keeping order. His gospel also reveals that he was a student of the Old Testament. Some of you might not have knew that. But Matthew quotes more from the Old Testament than all of the other got three gospels combined. He quotes more from the Old Testament. Why was, this so, why was the Old Testament so important to Matthew? Because Matthew was writing to an audience of Jewish believers. He wasn't necessarily writing to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people. He was writing to the Jewish believers, to the Pharisees, to the Sadducees, to those people who had kind of chosen not to follow Christ. He was given an account of who Jesus is to those people. So guess what? The understanding that Jesus was fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies was very important of that day. Matthew quotes more than 60 Old Testament prophecies. It connects how Jesus fulfilled each one of those prophecies, starting from his birth all the way into, all the way into his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The book of Matthew really is an excellent introduction to the understanding of the gospel message and the essential teachings of Jesus Christ. Matthew also is the one who gives us two of the recordings of the genealogies. And I, I just, as I'm reading through this, I think one of the reasons that he does so is that, again, he, he is, it's very important for him to present details. Because he was an accountant. He was someone who was a tax collector. He knew numbers. So he, he gives the report of genealogy. The only other one we have is in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke, guess what? He was a doctor. Details were important. So they both give us genealogies of who Jesus is. Another interesting insight in Matthew's day Whereas tax collectors were expected to know kind of a form of a shorthand. And I don't know if you've ever watched the series Chosen. It's a great series. They take some liberties, but it's really, really good. And tax collectors of that day, when people would come to pay their taxes, they would not only have to record the numbers of what they paid. If they were, if they were going to be uh, late on their payment, if there was some reason they couldn't pay, they would have to also record their story of why they couldn't pay their taxes. And so it was really important to the Roman government that they had these details. So most tax collectors were required to have some, some side of, type of shorthand to write in. And it really makes a lot of sense when we read the Gospel of Matthew that, you know what, so much of Matthew is so detailed, it's because of his background as an accountant. And you just kind of wonder at sometimes if Jesus called Matthew for that purpose as well, to have a detailed recording you really discover this in Matthew 5 through 7 when you start reading the Beatitudes. It's like someone was sitting there just writing it down. It is so detailed, so organized, so complete. And I think it's part of reasons. Matthew is probably sitting right there. So many of the Gospels, so many of the other books are from, from oral tradition as well. And they bring them back and they write them down. Matthew, I think he was just writing there. I don't know that for sure, but he's just recording it all. Because it seems like you're right there with Jesus' teaching. 
Why does this matter for all of us today? Because you know, the more that we can discover about who Jesus is in our life, the greater we have the possibility to follow him with all of our life. So that's a little background on Matthew. But for the rest of our time today, which is going to be about 20 minutes, so just hang on, I want to focus on Jesus' calling of Matthew to follow him. It's a story that's found in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and um, Mark. It's not found in the Gospel of John, but it's found in the three synoptic Gospels, the Gospels that are very similar to one another. All three record Matthew's calling by Jesus. And I want to read that passage of Scripture to you today. It's found in chapter 9 of of the Gospel of, of Matthew. That's the account we're going to read today. And follow along with me. It says, um, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word today, and I pray today once again you would illuminate our minds. You would speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that every person that walks away from um, church today, Lord God, would take a new insight of who you are in our lives. I pray we don't walk away just the same, but God, I pray that we would continue to change each and every day to be more like you. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. This is pretty much what we know of Matthew right here in this passage of Scripture. And today I want to examine this, this story from three different sets of eyes, from three different viewpoints, from three different perspectives. I want to look at Matthew's call, when Jesus called Matthew to follow him. The first set of eyes are from a sinner who embraced Jesus, Matthew. From a sinner who embraced Jesus. We don't know all of Matthew's story. We don't know why he chose an occupation to be a tax collector. An occupation that really would ostracize him from the rest of his people. We don't understand that. We don't know if he chose to, to be a tax collector because he just was filled with greed and he wanted to make a lot of money because the tax collector just extorted a lot of money. Maybe that's why he chose to be a tax collector. Or maybe, maybe he chose to be a tax collector because he was already ostracized from the people. They had already shunned him for some reason. So he just decided, you know what, I can go do this and make lots of money. You know, fat on everybody else. Have you ever, been, have you ever felt that way in life? Fat on everybody else, I'm going to go do this. Maybe that's what he, why he chose to be a tax We don't know. We do know it was an occupation that was not well received. It was an occupation that everyone looked down upon. It was an occupation of dishonest gain, and there was so much corruption that was taking place amongst the tax collectors. Yet when Jesus was walking down the streets, and he sees Matthew sitting in that tax collector booth, he says, Matthew, come, follow follow me, be my disciple. And it's a reminder for each and every one of us today that Jesus meets you where you're at. 
So many times we think we got to get cleaned up and we got to go to church, but I can't go to church because I don't have the right shoes, I don't have the right pants, I don't have the right shirt, I don't, I don't know if I speak the right language, I don't know. And so many times we hold back from following Jesus because we don't know that we're there yet. And I'm here to declare to you today that Jesus is going to meet you right where you're at. You didn't, see, you didn't have to go to the synagogue to meet Jesus. Jesus wasn't sitting in the synagogue waiting for everybody to come to him. Oh, let me get you out. Come on, come on here. Let me talk to you today. Come, come here. Let me talk. No, Jesus went to the people. He went to the marketplace. He went to the streets. He went to Matthew, who was a tax collector, sitting in a tax booth. He said, hey, Matthew, it's time. Come follow me. It appears in Scripture that Matthew didn't even hesitate. It reminds me of that song that so many times we used to sing, Just As I Am. You know what? Matthew was fine. Just as I am, I'm going to follow Jesus. This reminds me of the Samaritan woman when Jesus all of a sudden came, comes to the Samaritan woman. Just as you are, come follow me. It reminds me of Zacchaeus who's sitting up a tree, another tax collector. And Jesus says, I'm going to come and dine with you. Come, follow me. Be a part of my life. I want to be a part of your life. Jesus meets us where we're at. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. It was not a light decision. You think about it, he abandoned his business, his tax collection, the thing that made him money, the thing that he profited by. He abandoned that to follow. There was probably many people waiting in line because that was great money. They knew that, you know, they were going to be ostracizing the people, the Jewish people, but it was great money. There were probably people waiting in line to, to have that opportunity. Matthew left that to follow Jesus. It wasn't a light decision. What caused Matthew to leave everything? Scripture doesn't tell us. But we, conclude, we can conclude this certainty for sure, that his heart was ready to answer Jesus' call. His heart was ready. And that's what God wants for each and every one of us, is that our heart would be ready to answer his call. Through the eyes of a sinner, redemption was seen. The deliverance from his old self to a new life in following Jesus. The second set of eyes in this story that I want to present to you today is the religious who despise sinners. Matthew was so excited about his new calling to follow Jesus that he said, man, I want everybody to know Jesus. Remember, Matthew's a tax collector. He probably has quite a bit of money. He goes, man, I'm going to throw a party today. I'm going to invite everybody over. We're going to get the hot tub going, heat up the pool. We're going to get everything rolling, turn on the barbecues. We're going to have a party because I met this man named Jesus. And he invites all of his tax collector friends, all of the other people that he hung out with, along with Jesus, along with his disciples. He says, I want you to meet this man because guess what? He's changed my life. And he brings them all into his house. The Gospel of Luke states it was a great banquet, a large crowd of tax collectors and other sinners who were eating with Jesus. It is here where we see a new set of eyes that all of a sudden come into the story. They were the eyes of the religious elite. They were the eyes of the Pharisees. They came and saw Jesus eating with all these disreputable people. Tax collectors and sinners. We don't know how they got there. We don't know if the party got so loud they were upset and they say, come, turn down the music. We don't know what was taking place that day. 
Maybe they were like the HOA cops. You know, they just all of a sudden walking around. All of a sudden they saw something out of place. And if you, we have a great HOA, by the way. So, but you know, some, some HOAs, man, if you mow your lawn the wrong direction, they'll be on top of you. You know, maybe that was taking place. That's kind of what the Pharisees always reminded me of. <laughs> These people out of control. But they were outside looking in and criticizing The Pharisees then asked the question to his disciples. He says, why does he eat with such people, sinners? Why is he making friendship with the lowlifes, with the scum? Why? You see, the Pharisees see this act as unholy. To be in relationship with sinners means that you're embracing their sin, therefore making yourself unrighteous. That's what the Pharisees thought. The Pharisees wanted nothing to do with such sinful people. Because the Pharisees saw themselves, they saw themselves as being righteous. They saw themselves as far superior to everyone else. It's so easy in our life to elevate ourselves above others. It's so easy in our life to elevate ourselves above others. To have a higher view of or a higher perspective about who I am compared to everyone else. I believe one of the biggest journeys as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, is this journey to to try to stay away from becoming or having this pharisaical attitude in our life, where all of a sudden we've been in church for 30 years, and all of a sudden we start, oh, you see that person? They sat in my seat. Can you believe? They sat. Who is that Philistine that sat in my seat? We all of a sudden start, start seeing people from a different perspective, which is not good. We all of a sudden start elevating. Have they given to this church like I've given to this church? Are you kidding me? Who do they think they are? That's what was happening in the Pharisees. They saw themselves as righteous because of their good works. And I'm not saying good works are bad. In fact, the Bible really declares to us to do good works. But our good actions should never lead us towards self-righteousness and pride. Because self-righteousness and pride will lead us away from God. Let me say it again. Self-righteousness and pride will always lead you away from God. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Our good actions should remind us of a good God who has given us the ability to do good things. When we do good things, we need to be reminded the only reason we have the possibility of doing good things is because I serve a good God who has created me to do so. Our good actions reflect God's goodness in us and should lead us towards loving God and loving others. Those are, that's the two staples of our church is to love God and to love others. That's what Jesus said. He wrapped all the commandments into those two. Love God, love others. If our actions include despising others, hating others, then our actions are not pure and our actions are as unholy as those who we would consider to be the worst of sinners. Matthew's eyes saw an opportunity to invite Jesus into his house and to invite his friends and to gather a group of people. He wanted everyone to experience the power of Jesus. But the religious leaders' eyes, and I want you to catch this, their eyes were so focused on their self-righteousness that they couldn't see the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to a scripture that the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4.4. He writes, Satan, who is the God of this world, 
has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. The religious elite had allowed Satan to blind their ability to see. Allowing hate to live in their heart will blind you from seeing the truth. John writes these words in 1 John 2.11. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in darkness and walks around in darkness. Did you catch that? Anyone who hates a brother and sister is in darkness. You're living in darkness and you're walking around in darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. You see, the Pharisees, man, they had studied the Word of God. They knew the Old Testament. But because of their hate for their others, and this is something for all of us to grab a hold of, because of their hate for others, they were blinded to the truth standing right in front of them. Because they harbored hate, because they harbored offense, because they harbored all these things, guess what? The truth was standing right in front of them, Jesus Christ. And they read all these Old Testament scriptures that pointed to Jesus, and yet they couldn't see Jesus. Because guess what? That hate brought darkness over their eyes. It's why when we take communion, one of the things in scriptures that says, before you take communion, go to your brothers and sisters and make anything, any offense that you have, make it right with them before you even take communion. Because God wants you to have a pure heart, a clean heart before him, so that all of a sudden that darkness, that hate, that darkness that would put cover over your eyes will be lifted so you can see the heart of God, the love of God, the truth of God, the grace of God. So all that to say this, don't let hate reside in your heart. The last set of eyes we see are from the Savior who calls sinners. And he only calls sinners. He only calls sinners. When the Pharisees were talking to Jesus' disciples, Jesus overheard the question. And we already read this story. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? That's the Pharisees talking. to Seriously? This is who you're following right now? You're seriously going, he's eating, do you see? He's eating with prostitutes and tax collectors and, and the, why would you follow him? That's what they're asking. That's what the Pharisees are doing. And do you remember how Jesus responded? Because he overheard the question. He says, healthy people don't need a doctor, six people do. It's one of my favorite responses that Jesus gives to the Pharisees. Why is that? Because it's so hard for the Pharisees to argue what Jesus just said. It's so hard for them to all of a sudden to argue that, well, yeah, I, yeah, I guess you are right. I guess sick people don't need a doctor and, and we're not sick. So I guess, yeah, okay. You know, they can't argue his point. Jesus was so clever, so sharp. They would have to agree with Jesus' answer. Healthy people don't need a doctor. See, the Pharisees never wanted to admit to wickedness. Their story is equivalent to what Jesus shared in Luke 18, where two people entered the temple. We don't know if this is a parable or if this is a true story that Jesus see, that he actually saw or that he actually witnessed. But he shares this story in Luke 18. He says, two people in a, a temple. One was a Pharisee and one was a tax collector. The, 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 the tax collector stands in the temple and he's beating his chest. Forgive me, Lord, for I have sinned. Forgive me, Lord, for I have sinned. He was broken before God. 
And then the Pharisee, Jesus says, the Pharisee was on the other side of the temple. And he's standing there. And he says, thank you, God, that I'm not like all these others. The scum. Especially, God, thank you that I'm not like that tax collector over there. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. Certainly not like that tax collector. You see, the Pharisees not only viewed themselves as righteous, but many of the people viewed the Pharisees as righteous as well because of their strict adherence to the law. They represented the past tradition of legalism, attaining righteousness through sacrifice and setting themselves apart from sin. And they just couldn't understand the idea that Jesus would embrace sinners. The idea of Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman at the well where Jews were not even supposed to talk to Samaritans, let let alone a woman. The thought of him forgiving a woman who had been caught in adultery. Seriously, Jesus, we're called to stone her and you're going to forgive her for this action? The action of Jesus touching a leper. A leper was considered unclean and Jesus, you're going to actually touch a leper? The impurity to allow a prostitute to come into the home and to wash his feet. Who, who is this man, Jesus? And now Jesus, going to a party that's filled with sinners. Are you serious, Jesus? These actions angered the Pharisees. Jesus was making a mockery of our religious system. Jesus then tells them to learn the meaning of this following scripture. So good. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. He's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Jesus is stating in the scripture that he was more interested in showing kindness and compassion towards sinners than to merely enforce an external set of religious rules that have no meaning to them. And then Jesus finishes, and I love Jesus. How many love Jesus here today? Then Jesus finishes with a drop-the-mic statement. It's one of those times, and he just drops the mic. He makes this statement. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. You want to talk about a slap in the face to the Pharisees? You want to talk about getting into their grill? When he made that, I have not come to call those who think they are righteous. No, 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 no. See, I've only come to call those who know they are sinners. See, if you think you are righteous, you're never going to be able to accept the great, beautiful gift of God's forgiveness and grace. It's only those who know that they are sinners that the gift of grace is going to work in their life. See, the Pharisees were those who pretended to be righteous. But in secret, they were sinners. Their whole religious system was a facade. It's why Nicodemus pursued Jesus. I really believe in my heart. It's why Nicodemus, he pursued Jesus. He knew there was something more. He knew there was something real. He knew there was something special about Jesus. He knew in his heart, and I have to go talk with Jesus. Even in Scripture, we know that there were some Pharisees that were sliding away and they were secretly following Jesus. The religious system was so strong, so difficult, so, so withholding that they were secretly knowing there was something truth about Jesus. 
You see in that moment in the banquet hall where Jesus is seeing Matthew's friends, sinners. And then Jesus sees all these Pharisees standing outside in disgust. Guess what Jesus sees? Sinners. All that day, all that Jesus sees is sinners. From Jesus' eyes, we're all sinners who need redemption. We're all sinners who need forgiveness. But Jesus can only call those who know they are sinners. The calling of the self-righteous person is futile. He doesn't waste his time on it because it's just not going to go anywhere. And in the light of Jesus' teachings, and I was thinking about this, I cannot think of a more appropriate person for Jesus to call than to call a tax collector named Matthew. Come follow me. Out of all the disciples, the fishermen, to call a tax collector, guess what? It spoke of the vision that Jesus had to redeem all people who were lost. Matthew, come follow me. Matthew dropped everything to follow Jesus. A person who knew and understood that he was a sinner. Yes, I'm a tax collector, a publican, saved by the grace of God. Jesus choosing Matthew to be his disciple would have openly proclaimed that the good news is for all people. For all people who were were willing to repent of their sins. And I just was thinking about this message today and I think that the, the thing that's so important for each and every one of us today is to ne- not let our lives follow down a road of self-righteousness. But let your life be anchored into God's grace and God's truth. Let, you, let yourself anchor not in your righteousness, but in His righteousness. Throw your anchor into heaven and say, Jesus, I need you. Amen. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you your word is so powerful. It changes lives. And today I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit as we are just resting in your presence, hearing your word today. So grateful that you chose 12 ordinary people to follow you because it gives us, each and every one of us here, hope that you can do extraordinary things through our lives. But today I pray for anybody here that maybe is not a follower of you. They haven't chosen to put you first in their lives. They they know about you, but they don't know you. Today I pray for those that maybe know about you, but they haven't experienced your presence. That this week they will experience your presence. With every eye closed, head bowed for just a moment. If you're here and you've never made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ, we do this every Sunday, almost every Sunday. I want to give you opportunity to follow Jesus. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand today. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. I don't know. But I do want you to, if you know it in your heart, that you need to make a commitment to follow Jesus. I want all of us online and in the audience here today, I want all of us to say this prayer. And if you're a person that says, yeah, I need to make a new commitment to Jesus Christ, or I need to make a one first time commitment to follow Jesus. I want you to be like Matthew. I want you to be bold. And I want you to say it loud. And I want you to say this prayer with me today. Will Will you repeat this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, today I choose to follow you. I leave everything else behind for the sake of following you. 
forgive me my sins give me the power of your Holy Spirit set me free from my past let me follow you in Jesus name amen amen God good yeah he is faithful he is holy he is righteous if you made that decision to follow Jesus today, one of the things I want you to do is just come by and see me or one of our pastoral staff. We have a new believers book we would love to put into your hands. Just gives you the next steps. If you're watching us online, uh, just email me, tom at southcoastchristian.com. How many pastors give out their email? I do, tom at southcoastchristian.com, 949-338-6293. That's my cell phone. Call me because we want to make a difference in the lives of people. Pastor Tom, you're crazy. That's okay. I'm an introvert. I need people to like me, okay? So let's just go, let's just give out the phone number, let people call me, okay? Let's take the time to pray with people. Let's take the time to love people. If you're here today and, and you need to know more about Jesus, talk to me, talk to my wife, Annette. She's out in the lobby right now, and we'd love to be able to pray with you and be a part of your life as well. Um, will you stand with me today? We're going to end with worship. I want to give one more just throw it out there I would love if you're new or relatively new to this church or if you've never attended our grow class I would love for you to attend grow today it's for the next three weeks it's about 45 minutes to an hour we meet in this back corner room that we call the team room we call it the team room because it's where our leadership meets and when we get here on Sunday we usually already have 20 or 30 people praying for Sunday's activities for Sunday's ministries and, uh, but we'll meet in the team room and I just want you to walk through with me what we call grow and it really is all about finding greater purpose in your life to follow Jesus and if it, gives, it gives you a discovery of who this church is and where else are you going to it is so hot and humid out today we have free air conditioning we have free food in, from Las Galagrinas we have free food in there come and be a part and and don't use your air conditioning. Use ours, okay? Yeah, you're just going to go out there and get all sticky and wet. So stay and hang around. Uh, we're going to start that about 11.30 today. We'd love for you to be a part of that. Maybe 11.20, 10 to 15 minutes, we'll probably start that. If you have any questions, we'll be out in the lobby. We'd love to greet you and show you that direction. God bless you today. We're going to end with worship. And we love you here at South Coast Christian. But more importantly, guess what? God loves you. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.